My name is Suki. I'm a compulsive overeater, undereater, sugar addict, and your moderator for this session. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The format for this session is as follows. Three speakers for 20 minutes each, followed by 15 minutes of questions and answers, finishing up with 15 minutes of open pitches. This session is being taped, so you will need to sign the tape release form if you're sharing. Please turn off all cell phones for the duration of the meeting, and remember it's against our tradition of anonymity to take photos during the meeting. The topic for this session is Happy Together, Gay and Lesbian in Recovery, I think. And um, our first speaker is Grisha. No. <laughs> you don't have to be perfect to be a moderator for that. <laughs> now, we'll look, our first speaker is Eddie. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Eddie. I'm a grateful recovering compulsive overeater. And um, I'm really happy to be here today. I was, uh, when I was asked about uh, speaking, I, I was sort of shocked, and I'm still sort of shocked about, you know, uh, this being the first time I'm inside my own body and my own way of being and living with my own people, if you will. Uh, where I have had the opportunity to speak in, in other situations, um, this is very unique. So I'm grateful that all of you are here today. I was um, wondering, you know, who, who would show up. And um, I guess I could, when I was thinking about it, and I was afraid a lot about this, but, but don't have anything clear to say. So I'm just going to kind of tell you my story and some of the highlights. And one of the things that I've struggled with for my whole life is the whole situation of fitting in and belonging. And I have never fit in. I just have never fit in. And that was something that I thought was sort of like the goal, fit in. At least that's what I think I was taught about fitting in. So no matter what, you had to crunch down, cut down, move this way or that way to fit in. And I really believe today that that is not necessary. We do not have to fit in. But that belonging is very important. And that is what I have found in this fellowship is the gift of belonging, um, which I never had before. I belong to other 12-step programs, but this is it's not the same as here. This has a unique feeling of belonging because I hear people say things, you know, some of the ideas that people have, I thought, oh, God, I didn't think anybody thought that, you know, just me, you know, that I was the only one who felt that way or thought that way. And so um, I think that whole question of fitting in was, would, would be what has characterized my life, that search and that uncertainty and that um, failure, if you will. And um, I felt that from the time I was very, very little and food became the solution to that gut feeling of anxiety and worry and somehow food fixed that or at least that's what I believe 
And so I could somehow quiet down or shut down or close down when I found food, and, and most especially sugar, different forms of sugar, but also uh, I would say white flour was really up there too, but sugar was sort of like the top. And um, I went through my life not having uh, any person or way to identify myself because there weren't any role models that in the gay, lesbian community that I was exposed to. We were, we were raised in, um, you know, a kind of a Catholic Irish ghetto. And um, I guess, you know, God must be straight if you're Catholic. I'm not quite sure. But it just, you know, that seemed to be the message. You know, uh, this is the way it's done. You know, and this is how you do it. And anything else is bad. And it's probably a sin. So that really narrowed the, the, the uh, you know, the, the playing field. And so being worried and being anxious was just like a way of life. And I think in my family it was sort of a value to worry. You know, like if you you are worrying, you are actually doing something constructive toward whatever might happen, you know. And whatever might happen, you weren't sure of, so you had to worry about what might happen and then decide to worry about if it did happen, what you would do. So it was really like, you know, it was a full-time job. And uh, so I went that way through school, uh, mostly not belonging and living on the fringes. Having one or the other friend... Um, that most often would let me down, or at least that's how I felt about it. Uh, the first friend I had in school when I was little, he had uh, rabbits, and, you know, I had, rab I had animals when I was a child. That was one way I, w I was comforted. And I gave him a rabbit that I had, and his parents raised rabbits, and, of course, the promise was, you know, my rabbit wouldn't be killed or anything because they used the rabbits for food. My rabbit was special and whatever, and then the next thing I knew, you know, his father was, killing the rabbit because it was time, you know, for the for the next batch or whatever. And I was just like absolutely floored by how could you do this? You know, I thought you promised me and those kind of things. And so I was very black and white in my thinking about what people said and did and how coherent they were in what they said and did. And what I did to protect myself was I always hid. And food was a great hiding place. I want to give my numbers before I go on because I, I will probably not want to be completely honest if I don't, and I had that intention in the beginning. Is um, My weight has fluctuated, but has mostly in, in great parts of my life been up around 260, 280, and I really believe it went higher than that. I would probably be safe to stay close to 300, but my denial system always kept it around 260, so no matter how how far it went, I'm right around 260. You know, if, if you were gutsy enough to ask me and I felt I had to tell you the truth, that was where I would, would go with it. And even if people would sort of scratch their head and look at me, I would hold to that number, you know. And I'm not really sure how I picked it, but, but that seemed to be like, okay, if you were under 300. Uh, my weight size was uh, 44. My biggest weight size was 44. Right now I'm uh, about 36, 38, depending on the pants. I always want the ones that the 36 is the, is the one that fits, but what the heck. Um, and um, the, uh, the search I had in the program was for some sort of sanity. I started in the program in 1989. I actually started um, an abstinence in 1999 because I never looked for a sponsor. I wanted to do it my way. 
if I had a sponsor, they would really have to know, you know, what the truth was about my food. I didn't even tell myself the truth about food. You know, I didn't. It was like one of the one of the hallmarks of food addiction in my experience was, you know, this sort of like malaise of, well, I really didn't eat that much. Well, it was probably yesterday. I think. Well, there's still a little bit left, but oh, I'll wait till tonight. It's not as much as if you ate it all at once. It just was very confusing and very comfortable to have the confusion, this sort of like, you know, vague cloud. So I went through high school, um, but I'll, I'll just mention this one. One of the things that struck me when I was very little, I was around 10 years old, was the whole situation of... Uh, of um, the person who I believe was a flight attendant, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, Christine Jorgensen, who had a sex change, that seemed to make sense to me, that that, that I had, wasn't in the right body or something like that, I used to think for a while, because I was like, I liked being, you know, I was attracted to the boys, and, and other boys weren't attracted to the boys as far as I could see, so it, it never fit, and everything just didn't fit together. And that was the first thing that kind of made sense, oh, that, that would probably really work, you know. And, um, so I had a lot of confusion all the way along. And in, in high school, the solution I had for sexuality, amongst other reasons, one, to, to bring uh, great happiness to my father, who I love very much, but who I felt never saw me, was I went to the seminary. And I could shut it all off. I could not, it was possible not to deal. They didn't talk about sex in the seminary, except that it was bad. And so that kind of kept you on the safe side. And, you know, if you will, what I've heard more recently is that I was sexually anorexic for many years. Uh, distrust was a strong part of my program also in terms of my disease. Don't trust anyone. Don't let them know. Don't tell anyone whatever. Uh, and so the secret, secret keeping, which I thought was good as long, as long as I knew the truth, was extremely damaging. So I really don't, you know, want to pretend that secret keeping is any good because it has a real damaging effect on your life, which I never realized how it really distorts. It's distorted my life because, you know, I still want to keep secrets about things that aren't even important, you know. And somebody says, well, I told them this. I said, you told them? Well, why wouldn't I tell them? Well, I don't know. You know, it's like, you know, we should have kept the secret anyway, you know, no matter what. And so there, there's still sort of like a disconnect there in terms of secrets and, and secretiveness. Um, I got into recovery and other programs uh, while I was uh, involved as a priest and, and finally, you know, came to this awareness that I'm not in the right place. I do not belong here. And I was able to, to walk away from that, even though financial insecurity has always been like, you know, a big thing in my life. You know, I can do financial insecurity even as we're walking out the door and, you know, I reach in my pocket and can't find a dollar, all of a sudden we're financially insecure, you know. It, it comes that quickly. Uh, I was able to work through that and, and um, you know, leave the priesthood, which was the best thing for me, and, you know, find another way to live. Um, I subsequently got involved in chemical dependency treatment because it was the one thing that I knew was mine. And I still wasn't out yet. The, the, those were still uncharted waters, if you will. But I knew about chemical dependency and everything. I knew about addiction, so I, would, I was very comfortable in that field. And um, 
got to a situation where I finally I got married. That was another quick fix. I'm I'm also a person who loves quick fixes. So if you have any, let me know. We'll go and do them real quick. Uh, Short-term solutions for long-term problems, you know, that type of thing. And um, so I was married for about four years and then finally was able to be honest with my spouse. And I had told her, you know, I had one experience before we were married and told her about that. And then, you know, when I finally came out to her, she said I was afraid that this would come back. You know, so I felt like I'd been truthful, at least in some way. So that was very painful, leaving that um, marriage. And I was going to OA at the time, but still in this malaise of, you know, I really can't tell anybody about my food and all this stuff. And in 1999, I was was separated and divorced in 97. I finally worked to be more and more honest with myself about who I was. had the opportunity to go to um, a gay, lesbian, bi, trans counseling center where a man who had similar experience to me, he, you know, when I I had filled out all this information and was totally, you know, shocked as I was sitting there when they hooked me up with a therapist, he practically, you know, told me it was okay. He had been an ex-trappist in the Catholic Church. I said, oh, that's not a problem. I know I'm in the right place. And so he knew how much of my craziness was church, how much of my craziness was Catholic, how much of my craziness was gay, you know. I mean, I didn't have any idea about how to separate some of that stuff out. And he'd say, well, I think this is church. You know, do you want to say some more about that? And I said, oh, okay. And, you know, we sort of wandered through this. And I finally started to feel some sense of belonging and some identity, you know, a personal identity. He said, I want you to know that you, when you come to an acceptance of who you are as a gay man, you will feel empowered which was something that I never felt in my whole life. It was always hide, make them happy. If I take care of you, you won't hurt me, and you might even take care of me or protect me in some way if I'm nice to you. And the empowerment was extremely powerful, and I believe that helped me in my journey uh, of recovery in this program, that I could take responsibility somehow for my own life. Not that I was particularly blaming so much before, but it was more, I took on this deal, um, which which is strong within the the church tradition of being a martyr. One therapist told me, she said, oh God, you are not a victim. She said, you are a first class martyr. And of course, I could be a martyr, you know, with whatever. (gasps) Oh, my work situation. (gasps) My relationship. (gasps) You'll never guess. And, of course, I loved it because the martyrdom deal was a, was a real good one, you know, I mean, in terms of my head. So this empowerment and taking responsibility was really, really important um, for my life in recovery. And I started uh, to, first I got a sponsor who offered to help me, a woman offered to help me in 1999. And I started to call in my food, albeit not honestly, but I started and then I got a subsequent sponsor. I went to a to a, a workshop on sponsorship. I lived in Portland, Oregon at the time. And they said, you know, sponsorship is about sharing what you have, your own experience, strength, and hope. You didn't have to be a doctor or, you know, know anything special. And I thought, you know, these sponsors were like gurus of some sort. And I had been a guru seeker, but I didn't want to do gurus anymore. And so 
I found this person who was pretty flexible, maybe too flexible, if you will, but flexible, which was okay for me. And we did some more work, and I used to meet with her at once a week, you know, before we went to a meeting and stuff like that. So my self-disclosure got stronger, that some of this secret keeping and, and hiding was broken down. And I moved subsequently to Palm Springs in uh, the year 2000 and got a sponsor. I went to a birthday party uh, for the inner group. And I said, the first male, I was there about three months, the first male who comes in here, I'm going to ask him to be my sponsor. And this guy came in that I never saw before. It was like, oh, Jesus, I had a couple people thought, thought of, you know, for meetings. But anyway, so I asked this guy and he gave me his card and he said, call me. And, you know, so we met. And it's really turned out to be a very higher powered experience. Uh, he's extremely respectful of me. Uh, he's always been able to cut through my bullshit. It's like, you know, excuse me, that, that doesn't sound too honest. You know, well, all right, you know, or, you know, do you want to, uh, you know, how about thus and such? He'd say, I'd say, well, I'd like to think about that. And he said, well, how long are you going to think about it? I said, well, how about two or three years? You know, like, <laughs> we don't want to get into quick decisions and stuff like that. I'd like to procrastinate. That was another strong tool of disease I had was, you know, let's procrastinate it. And, um, this man has really helped me, and subsequently I've, I've, you know, been able to take, once I started to get real honest about my food, had a clear abstinence and had a clear food plan to follow, things have fallen more and more into place. So I'm more at home in my own body. I can feel my body now. I know my body. I'm alive. Like, I never felt anything from here down. I just didn't feel anything. And so this particular, since, not, since 2000 and, and even more recently, I just want to say three things that have been extremely helpful to me is, one, I went to a workshop last year in uh, October, I believe it was the Orange County, Intergr Orange County Intergroup in Big Bear, where a couple who were the facilitators said, write a 10-step every day. Write out the third step, write out, admit to your higher power you're afraid, write out everything you're afraid of, Get to your higher power, you're angry, write down everything, everything you're angry about, and close with a seven-step prayer. And I have been as honorable as possible to that. Not, not perfect by any stretch, but it has helped clear up and pull apart some of the confusion in my life and in my heart and all. That's been special. At the birthday, I learned more about surrender. When someone spoke and said, this, they, this person had been in treatment, and they said, you go... First, you're out there running and gunning and eating and, you know, lying and everything. You go from there to getting some order in your life in the program of some discipline, some food plan. And this man said to this person, what you lack is the leap of faith. And uh, she said, this was her paraphrase, she said, and I realized that was true. And the leap of faith is taking the step without the net, and the net is my mind. And all of a sudden it made sense because I want to decide how I'm supposed to look. I want to decide what's going to happen when I magically get to, you know, whatever weight, and life will all unfold. And that's just not real. I have to leave that in the hands of my higher power and, you know, the, the, the fellowship of this program and see what takes place. And that, that was extremely powerful for me to get, let my mind, you know, get out of the way because my mind, you know, is, is a 
you're behind enemy lines. I'm behind enemy lines if I'm in my mind, you know. And um, and there was one other thing that I can't remember. The third thing doesn't come to my mind right now. But uh, those two things were, were very, very special to me to continue this journey of recovery. The 10th step has been excellent. And um, also, oh, phone calls. The phone weighed six million pounds to me forever. And I finally got to a place last year, so it was April of last year, uh, to start to call other people in recovery. And I tried to make three phone calls besides my sponsor. And that has been an extremely healing experience also, that other people would say they were struggling because I couldn't possibly admit to you that something happened at work today and I want to eat at her, I want to eat at him more than you could ever know. And somebody said, well, yeah, that happened to me too. And I was, you know, terminally unique. I've I've really grown in healing from terminal uniqueness. So anyway, I'm very honored to be here. I thank you all. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, our next speaker is Serafina. My name is Serafina. I'm a compulsive reader. Um, I was trying to <laughs> program my own clock so I have my own personal, uh, make sure I'm on, on track here. Um, so so um, I just want to start by saying I'm really glad to be here and be asked, um, haven't been asked to speak. Um, and to start my qualification, I just want to say this is my story. Please take what you like and leave the rest. And if you don't hear something from me, um, I'm sure my experience has been that I always hear something great from somebody else and I least expect it. Um, so I came in, I've been in program about two years, a little over two years. Um, and um, I came in, I, didn't, I forgot to bring, or I couldn't find my pictures. So I came in at 315 pounds. Uh, I've lost 90 pounds. Um, I've been abstinent for over two years, um, and that's basically the call fire. Okay, so to start about what it was like, um, I usually script, by the way, so I'm trying to let go a little bit. I'm not scripting every word I say. Um, so, okay, so what it was like. So, you know, I, I grew up totally, uh, I was been fat so I was, as an infant, fat as a young child, fat my whole life. Um, and, um, you know, my experience of that was that it was pretty horrifying and torturous um, to grow up as a, as a fat person. Um, and um, I think that in a lot of ways, that experience really, being fat has defined my sense of being different in the world. That I'm, I'm unlike other people, that I have a real sense of difference, you know, that I will kind of developed at a young age this idea that, like, um, I'm never going to be like anybody else, so um, I will kind of, like, take that and revel in my difference, um, which I think that there can be a lot of power found in in, in that idea. Um, and for a lot of years, that really helped me get through some of the difficult experiences I had. Um, I think one of the wonderful things I've gotten from program is that today I feel like one among many, 
And I never would have thought that being one among many was something I would want to feel because um, I felt that my difference was the thing that um, made me unique. You know, just the, the terminal uniqueness. Um, I had a piece of shit that the world revolved around. <laughs> the phrase that um, I've heard used often in program, and that's, that really defines a lot of my experience. Um, so, let's see. So, basically, you know, at a young age, I... Um, uh, I, who knows? I don't really care. Like, does it, was I born a compulsive reader? Was it environmental? It doesn't really matter to me. There is um, definitely addiction in, in, in different parts of my family. Um, hi. Excuse me. Yeah. Public announcement. If anybody parks in the Smart and Final parking lot, they're towing cars right now. Uh-oh. Smart and Final parking lot, they're towing cars. Um, so... What was I saying? Terminally unique. Oh, so yeah, so basically, like, I, terminally unique, but also this is a terminal illness. Okay, so basically, I do think that this is a progressive illness. I think it gets worse um, over time. And um, basically, I learned how to cope with life by eating. Um, through, for whatever reason, it doesn't really matter to me. So um, I developed this pattern of having lots of feelings about being different. And um, rather than um, coping with those feelings in a variety of other means, I ate. Um, and, and, and in that way, managed, to manage my feelings by eating. Um, or tried to manage my feelings by eating. I don't think it was often very successful. Um, so an another thing that really happened to me is I became very disconnected from my body. Um, and, you know, how, how I think about it now is, like, there was very little parts of my body that existed. Like, from here down, from cleavage up, like, my head was okay, and, um, and like, from the top of my kneecaps down. Like, that's kind of all that existed of, of my body. Um, and I developed these really elaborate means of um, hiding, you know? Um, and hiding in a certain way, but you know, of like how to wear clothes so I didn't look so fat. Like I was, I don't really think I was fooling anybody, but I was, I was fooling myself, you know. Um, so um, as I got older um, and came out into the lesbian community, you know, I had a really different experience um, of my sexuality and of my, kind of my, my body image and my self-worth and I experienced um, growing up, you know, as a, as a girl. You know, once I... Um, I moved to well, whatever. I went to uh, I went to UC Santa Cruz and then moved to San Francisco. Both communities have a really large lesbian community, queer community, I should say, um, and that was very positive, you know, very accepting. Um, and I, um, my sexuality really kind of took off once I um, moved up here to San Francisco, and um, you know, I had this experience of like suddenly it was like not only are do did people find me attractive, but I really, being fat wasn't a negative, didn't have negative connotation in the lesbian community. Or in the, I'm going to stop saying lesbian and say queer instead. In the queer community in which I live, have lived, and do live. Um, so that was this really exciting time for me, you know, because I, I kind of went nuts with my sexuality and had a lot of fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but also, you know, and as I, as I look back at it now, my 
progressive, my disease was continuing to progress, you know? And in a certain way, my sexuality got really, um, I kind of tried to use it to prove my self-worth to myself. So I got a lot of attention, and that attention equaled my self-worth. Um, because meanwhile, I actually hated myself. Meanwhile, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions and, and had this really fierce sense, independent sense of like, I am, uh, you know, beautiful enough, and I'm going to prove it to myself by, you know, screwing everybody I see. So the, these things were kind of existing simultaneously because I didn't know how to deal with, I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Um, can you tell me how much time I have? Thank you. Oh, boy. it's a lot of time. Um, so I was raised, I want to talk a little bit about my, um, my um, religious upbringing. I was raised Catholic um, and went through that process and um, really purposely turned away from the church when I was younger. Um, not because I realized I was queer, but because I didn't feel that there was room within that religious structure for somebody who was different. Um, later, you know, and when I came out, it was really like politically um, unacceptable for me to, to have any kind of a spirituality, any kind of a spirituality for myself. Um, I just felt like, you know, the, all, the, all these various religious organizations wouldn't have me and I wouldn't have them. And in turn, like, developed a real, like, um, distaste for anything religious or spiritual. Um, so, you know, I think the thing is, when I think about it now, um, as a compulsive overeater, like, I didn't develop emotionally. Like, I feel kind of stunted. Like, I have a kind of a, I had a very stunted um, process of growing up because I was eating to deal with any of my emotional and any of my feelings. I didn't really know how to relate to people very well. I didn't know how to have meaningful relationships. I didn't know how to be honest. Um, instead, what I knew how to do very well was to, to live in a lot of shame and to hide my eating. Um, I was really, I hid my eating very, I had very elaborate means of hiding my, um, how much I was eating to the extent that like today, like I, you know, friends of mine, family still are like, well, you don't eat any different today than you ate, you know, a um, hundred pounds ago. And, like it's because, it's because I would do all of the crazy things like hide food, um, you know, eat, like eat a meal with somebody and then eat another meal. Um, I did a lot of my overeating at home by myself. Um, I really had no concept of quantity. I still struggle with quantity. Um, like I definitely, I was the type of compulsive reader that was like a bag of pasta is packaged that way because it's one single serving. You know? <laughs> I was completely convinced that that was true. You know, like anything that comes in one package equals one serving. Um, so I would do things like, I, I'm a real big workaholic as well, um, uh, and so I would, I would, wor I work, 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 and I would, wouldn't, like, I wouldn't eat breakfast, and then I'd eat a late lunch, and then by the time I got home, I felt so exhausted, you know, overwhelmed, angry, tired, all of those things that it was like I deserved to eat whatever I want. It was like my reward to myself in a certain way, you know, like. I definitely felt that it was it was my my prerogative to to treat myself in a certain way. Um, so one of my 
one of my big, um, well, a big piece of my abstinence is eating at regular meal times now. Um, but I'll get into that in a little while. Um, so basically what happened was that, you know, as I see it now, like, thank God horrible things happened to lead me where I am today, you know. So basically what happened was I was with um, this woman who was like the love of my life, the love of my life. And um, we were engaged, and um, I couldn't make it work. Like, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't make the relationship work. And um, because I was a crazy person, basically, it's <laughs> true, because I was so nuts. Um, and it was like nothing, my best effort at making this relationship work with the person that I felt was truly my soulmate, I couldn't make it work. And that failure was so disappointing to me. It's taken me, I think it's been five years since that, and this is a big piece of my fourth step of trying to, to deal with, with that. But, you know, failure to me, like as a compulsive reader, I have the, you know, the overachieving, you know, everything perfectionist thing, you know. And not being able to sustain this relationship was horrible to me. So that relationship led to another relationship with whatever. I have a long line of, like, alcoholic drug addicts in my past. Um, so that led to another relationship. One thing led to another. And um, eventually I came into uh, Al-Anon, started going to Al-Anon, and um, I was at such a low in my relationships, um, in my romantic relationships. Like, I was so screwed up, and I couldn't deal with it. So I started going, I was willing to try something, and so I went to Al-Anon, and, um, and then it took me about a year and a half to come into OA. Like, I knew that... I knew that as much as I spent time looking at um, my relationship patterns, that it had, you know, my relationships are, I mean, this is a cunning, baffling disease, right? I think everything is tied into each other, um, and it's an emotional, spiritual, and physical disease. Um, so I just, I mean, I knew I had to deal with the eating issue. So anyway, long story short, I am... Um, I cruised meetings for like six months or something. Like I would look up the address and um, drive by meetings, but I wouldn't go in. Um, and it's scary, you know? It's scary to be like, okay, now I'm going to try and deal with this, in a certain way, the thing I know best about myself. Like, being fat is what I've always been. Like, nothing else has ever changed. Like, I've always been fat. It's the thing that has, like I said, defined, I've in a lot of ways defined myself by. And it's like, it's the excuse I've used in certain regards, like, like this thing couldn't happen because, or I can't think of a proper example, but in a certain way it's very comfortable to me as much as it is torturous to myself, you know? And learning a way, I was never able to diet, by the way, like, never. I never dieted it. I was... <laughs> My mom put me into Weight Watchers when I was really little, um, and uh, she would, I always had to wear black or horizontal stripes, or vertical stripes, like she wouldn't put me in like regular little kid colors, because she thought that the color, like black, was swimming on like a fifth grader. <laughs> yeah. In Weight Watchers. It was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> so I, that, I mean, I think that was another thing of like, I was like, I was really angry about I was really angry with my mom for a really long time about, 
you know, putting me through that and making me feel so bad about myself, you know? And, um, and now I see it that, like, she has the same disease I do, you know? And unless, I, I, I've gotten a lot of, I've gained a lot of forgiveness for her and for an understanding of, like, what she's gone through. Because, you know, same things were done to her, even worse, you know? Um, so anyway, so, got off track here for a minute. Um, what happened? What was I talking about? Cruising by the means. Thank you, thank you. So yeah, so yeah, so I'll tell you about how like difficult five minutes. Thank you. How difficult it was to to come in here. So I finally came in. I was passing out. I was fainting, and I thought I had diabetes. And um, it turns out I was just tired. <laughs> yeah, I went to three different doctors because I didn't believe the first two. I got the test done. I was just tired. That's how checked out I was for my body. Like I didn't know how to like rest or feed myself or just none of that made any sense like people went to the gym to work out I was like how does that work like I don't really believe that you exercise you gain muscles like what like I just didn't I checked out checked out okay so I came so then I went to the doctors and I found out how much I weighed and uh and I was really surprised like I thought I had maybe 20 pounds to lose right turns out I was like you know 150 Right, and, um, and so I so I came to the there was this great um, century meeting and newcomers meeting for the century meeting on Tuesdays. I came in there and I was just like I'd seen the <clears throat> how much I weighed that day and I was just like floored. You know, I was so upset because I was the first time I was looking at the problems directly straight on, and I was just like I am I need help. You know, please just help me. Like, I'm willing to do whatever you guys say right now because I'm helpless. Um, so, got a sponsor, started working the steps, got a food plan. Um, I do work a pretty, um, I, will, uh, I, I try and work the program a lot as much as I can because I find that the more I work it, the, the better my life becomes. Um, but some of the things that, of what it's like now, is that losing the weight is, the physical part, losing the weight, that's great. Like, I can sit into an airplane seat now and not have to get the extender. Um, I can, you know, walk in a comfortable way without um, my, you know, my knees and my feet and everything hurting. Um, there, there's all kinds of physical bonuses, but really I feel like when it comes, I mean, the physical recovery is great, but it's not really my business. You know, like my weight, I really believe that my weight's not my business. I'm more interested in the emotional and spiritual recovery. And spiritually, I basically when I got to step two, I was like, step one, I was willing to take. Step two, I was like, fuck it, I'll pretend. You know, like I just started acting as if. And um, I'm sorry, I curse so much. Um, so I started acting as if, and that really worked for me. Um, I suspended my disbelief um, and just did what my sponsor told me to do and what the literature told me to do and what I heard people meaning say. And um, what I have now is a really precious um, spirituality that I rely on so heavily, and it's gotten me through so many situations. It's amazing. I mean, I feel so grateful to have a spiritual program. Um, physically, I can feel parts of my body more now. I'm more, much more connected. I'm much more present. Um, Relationship-wise, I'm actually at, able to have a, sustain a relationship. So, 
This is game lesbian. I haven't talked too much about that, but you know, basically, I wasn't able to sustain any kind of long-term relationship. You know, like I was like a three-monther. Like I could, I fell in love and thought that she was great for three months, and then I was like, oh, that's who you are. Goodbye. You know, and I'd take off. Um, so now, you know, working with my sponsor taught me how to have an honest relationship. Thank you. How to be honest with another person, and that has changed things so much. Um, and working the steps has taught me how to start to deal with my emotions. Um, you know, putting the food down, all these emotions come up. Um, it took me a couple of years to to be able to be in a romantic relationship, which I'm in now. Very happy. Um, and you know, it's hard to be like, I'm feeling angry now for no plausible reason. You know, because I want to eat or or I want to eat because I'm feeling angry, whatever. But just um, I'm trying to be, I'm trying, I'm trying to be honest more, more of the time. Um, and what else? Um, my relationship, so, so my relationships are just getting better, and I'm healing some broken relationships that I had with my family that I'm very happy about. Um, so. I guess back to back to the idea of difference and how I've defined myself as, as different so much of the time. Like, it's a real it's a real gift not to have to be some crazy different person anymore. Like, it's a, it's just nice to be one among many, you know. And I really appreciate that tradition. Tradition. Um, I don't remember what I'm, which one I'm talking about, but I just. I appreciate that I don't have to be anybody special to be here. You know that um, all the only reason for being here is a desire to stop eating compulsively, and that I have on a daily basis. You know, and um, and I guess that's it. So thanks. Our third speaker is Grisha. Hey, family. I'm Grisha, compulsive reader. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be abstinent. And um, oh, let's see. I was reading the 12th step. Um, I guess I was at a meeting. The last time I spoke at a meeting, um, I got cross-talked, and it was upsetting, and it uh, it flipped me out. And so it made me. What I what I got out of that was I need to. For me, I just need to say at the beginning of when I share is that this is my experience. And this is what's happened to me in my life and how I came into OA and what, what it's like now. And so I hope that, that somebody gets a gift from that because I've been given the gift from all of you. And um, so I just want to have that disclaimer that if something I say is, does, offends you or um, doesn't resonate with you, then um, just, you know, let it go. <laughs> um, and so I guess just to get to some of the details, um, I guess I was a compulsive overeater before I was, before I thought about people's genitals. And uh, I, I came out of the closet before I came out as a compulsive overeater. So there was a little bit of um, irony there. Um, I guess my, uh, my earliest, I was thinking about intuition. Like I'm not a very street, I mean, I'm a very street smart and intuitive person. I'm not a book smart person. And I remember for some reason, certain moments in life, I don't have a very good memory either, but I remember this moment when I discovered there was no Santa Claus. And the reason it, it applied is just that I was walking down the street with a really close friend of mine, and I think we were, you know, I don't know, when do you, when do you find out there's no Santa Claus? Maybe some of you don't know. But, like, <laughs> I was, you know, I was a little kid, and I just remember walking with a friend, and I said something about Santa Claus, and he was like, 
well, there's no Santa Claus. And I was like, and it was like it processed really fast. I was, and I was like, oh yeah, no, I was just kidding. And I was like, fuck, there's no Santa Claus. <laughs> and so like that was that's kind of like how I process things. And so the way that relates is there. I remember the times when, like, I was riding with my mother once on Capitol Hill in Washington D.C. and there was this, a bright lime green house right next to a bright purple house. And we were driving by, and we both looked over, and she said, must be a couple of gayos living there. And I was like, gay is awful. You know, like, it just, it, that's what happened. You know, like, I just picked up on these little things, and that became the message to me, which was like, gay is wrong. You know, Lord knows you get enough messages. In high school, my nickname was Porky when that, that movie had come out, you know, and I embraced it, actually. I was like, yeah, let's make fun of the fact that I'm fat. You know, like, if that means I can be more popular and accepted. Um, it had this weird way, like, people knew me. I had this nickname, you know. And um, anyway, so growing up was, for me, about a lot of shame and a lot of secrets and, um, and a lot of eating over them. And drinking and drugs were part of my story. And um, I just remember, like, you know, just more of those sort of moments of shame where, like, I, I, I got that little message that I processed really quickly that I was different, that it, what I was doing was probably wrong, people didn't approve of it. Um, I'm the baby of six children. All my siblings are married, tons of kids. I was the only queer one in the family. Um, luckily, we were all alcoholics and drug addicts, so we could bond in that way. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and compulsive overeaters. So um, there was some hope there. But um, I remember, like, uh, I was a really skinny kid, but there was, it was around puberty um, that I started eating, and I ballooned out, and I became an obese child, and then an obese teenager, and then morbidly obese. And um, I grew up in bars. Um, I came out finally to myself at, like, you know, 16 or 17. I was running around with a bunch of people that were like me. We were all obese. We all had, you know, outrageous hairstyles and wore makeup and were very androgynous. It was the 80s. And, um, and we just went to gay bars. And we didn't say we were gay. We just drank a lot and partied. And I remember we used to hang out at this bar in Washington, D.C. called Tracks. And it was a huge warehouse bar. It was one of the early warehouse bars, I guess, before that became trendy. And, um, but it, the great thing about there was you just get there at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and you don't leave until 3 a.m. You know, like they had... Um, they had all these different sort of functions. They had a volleyball court. They had a waiting pool. They had a place where you could eat, you, you know. So I would just go in there and spend hours drinking and eating. Like they had, a, they go, like imagine, you know, you're just, you're bombed out of your mind and you're hungry and you get the munchies and you can go and get like a huge vat of fries and a big pizza, you know, and sit there and eat it. And I went with other compulsive overeater friends and we did that. So, you know, just my early, my late teens, early 20s were just about eating and consuming and shoveling down feelings and hiding, and um, and it was it was harsh. And I I developed a lot of really deep shame that way. And um, you know, like I remember I remember coming out to myself as queer um, a long time before I came out to anyone else. In fact, I, I don't know when I would have come out if I hadn't been caught. You know, like I had a really close friend in high school who was a flaming queen and very, you know, out of the closet dancing with me on the dance floor every night at the gay bars, but he would always say, are you sure you're not gay? I'm like, no. Yeah, I like girls. And um, anyway, he found, <laughs> he found a porno magazine under my bed, a, a male porno magazine, and so he was, he was shocked and really hurt. 
And, um, but that helped me. That was the boost. That, that was the push I needed out of the closet. And then I kind of just burst into flames, you know. It was like <laughs> I told everyone and, you know, just whatever. I remember um, I'm trying to think, like, how the food and sexuality are really combined with me. And they are, you know. Like, um, during the 80s when I was so androgynous and, um, you know, 100 pounds overweight, I used to go to this mall and um, near, it was outside of D.C. It was called Iverson Mall. And it was Elaine Bryant. And we were so excited to find this store because you could buy, like, fashionable clothes in really big sizes. And um, I remember going in there with all my girlfriends. And it was the 80s, and we were androgynous, so I didn't care that I was buying women's clothes. So we were, like, picking out all this stuff. Oh, this looks good, girl. Look at this girl. You know, all stuff. And I went into the dressing room and started started trying stuff on. And the woman, the sales clerk, was this woman, and she was banging on the door. Sir, 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 get out of there. What are you doing? And, you know, like, I was... And she shamed me. She kicked me out of the store. She was like, this is a women's clothing store. And I was like, well, what do you not understand? You know, like, she didn't get it, though. You know, and so I left, and it was just more about shame. It was like that sort of, that sexuality and shame mixed together. And um, in the gay culture, um, you know, you had these, you had some extremes. You had the, like, the guys that dance on top of the speakers that are all muscles, no body fat, beautiful, perfect, you know, huge in the right places and teeny in the right places. And I didn't, I wasn't one of them. And then you had the bear culture, which was like, you know, hairy and morbidly obese and really into it, like, and get into it and have people that are really sexually attracted to that, that, that type of person. So I was, people were attracted to me in that way, but I was full of shame about my body size. And so I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be a part of that. You know, like I didn't want someone lusting over me and feeding me Twinkies, you know, like I, I was, I was, you know, I always wanted to be in a normal sized body. I just didn't know how to do it. I had no clue how to do it. And um, so, you know, just, I guess, you know, I remember, I, I kind of don't remember some of my first sexual experiences because, you know, it was kind of the Monica Lewinsky definition of sex, you know, like it wasn't really full on sex, but it was, you know, some sort of contact and it was usually you know, in a blackout or in a bar or something. And it was, um, it wasn't really very intimate um, as I think of it now. So um, that whole sort of the shame about the way I was having sex, the shame about being gay, and really more deeply the shame about my body size, my body in general. Like I just, that's one of the things I've, I've always struggled with and continue to struggle with is body, you know, self-esteem around my body, my body image. And um, an acceptance of my body. So, struggle with that a lot. And um, I tell you, it's a lot easier to struggle with that in a normal-sized body than it was then. Um, you know, the difference is, well, I'm in, I don't know, the difference is obvious. I'm in a normal-sized body. But it took a long time to get there. Um, I was, um, I'm a century person. My top weight was 320 pounds. And um, I was introduced to the 12 steps. I came in through AA. And I've been sober for 16 years. and But I was in AA for eight years before I came to an OA meeting. And um, like many people, I yo-yoed over time. But when I quit drinking, I picked up the food. And the first uh, AA convention I went to, I went to this workshop called Out of the Bar and Into the Refrigerator. And um, I wish there had been some OAers there to do some 12-stepping. But basically, it was a bunch of, of us who had put down alcohol and just picked up food double time. And so that was my story. And eventually, I um, 
I worked the program in a twisted way to try and relieve myself of shame around my body size and being gay. And I got five minutes. Oh, my Lord. So, um, okay. okay. <laughs> um, and so I worked on that stuff and I was able to get into some, you know, to reduce the level of shame I felt. And I started, you know, what it really did was let me eat the way I wanted to around anyone. I was not a, I didn't hide my eating. So if I went out with people, I'm like, I'm fat, I'm big boned, this is my life, my family's big boned, the whole big bone thing. And, um, <laughs> and so I became a shameless compulsive overeater. I mean, I really was deeply shamed, but I mean, overtly I was shameless. I would eat off your plate. I love to go out to these taquerias with friends and everybody get these huge platters of everything. Mine would be done in five minutes. Everybody else would be like picking at theirs like, like birds and I'd be like, I'll finish that for you. And, um, and so I, I just, you know, I started, I moved to, from Washington, D.C. to California. And I, even though they say wherever you go, there you are, you know, like you're not necessarily going to change just because you change geography. But still in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, California people are healthy. The weather's nice. I'll exercise. I'll be a health nut. I got here and I didn't exercise one bit. And I ate like a maniac. And, um, you know, I just gained weight. And what happened was I met someone in, in another program who had been in OA, who had lost 100 pounds, who had been abstinent for like four or five years, but was in relapse. And he said, uh, I'm going back to a meeting. You want to go? And I said, sure. So we went. And that's when the miracle happened for me. Um, you know, I've been, I, went to, I remember I went to Nutrisystems with my brother. I had a brother that's nine years older than me, but we're very close. We lived together. We bought houses together. We partied together. And um, we competed on our weight. And so we would join weight programs together and kind of like compete. So we did Nutrisystems. We did um, Weight Watchers. We did the Atkins diet. We would just do all kinds of stuff. And the one that he was not willing to do that I went to was Jenny Craig because that was more of a girl's program, I guess. And um, all of them worked for a few minutes, you know, like I lost a few pounds and then I just couldn't wait to get back to the food. So coming to OA, I didn't really have any faith that it was going to work because to me it was another thing. And I mean, I've been in the 12 steps for eight years at that point. I knew how the 12 steps worked. I knew how to put down drugs and alcohol. Couldn't figure out the food thing. I like what I heard in the earlier um, meeting, which was to call the foods that I don't eat my drug foods. Um, I've also called them TISIA before, which is the acronym for food I can't eat if abstinent. And so there's like these certain foods, like there's certain li liquids like that contain alcohol. There's certain foods that I can't eat personally. So I don't eat flour. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat starch. I eat three meals a day with nothing in between. And I now have started to measure what I eat. Um, and so it's worked for me. Um, I've let go of the weight. I've got physical recovery. Um, I've worked the steps a couple of times, three times, four times um, in different programs. Um, the steps are really what I think uh, are the miracle of the program. Any, any change that's happened in my life has been around working the steps. And I got an incredible OA sponsor who worked me for, through the first seven steps and then, got, and then fired me. And um, which was, that was really one of the most painful things that happened to me was to be um, let go by a sponsor who I admired and really was making intense progress with. But um, the point is, like, I never thought this program would work for me, but all I did at first was just keep coming back, and it caught. You know, like, I got the miracle. I started going to the lifeboat meeting first. I started going to the writing meeting and the Saturday morning meeting. I started going to lots of meetings. I let other 12-step stuff go a little bit. You know, I weakened out on that, and I went. I really concentrated on OA. 
Um, I got a food plan right away. My first food plan is a lot different than it is today, and it's changed over time um, in recovery. So my first food plan was just three meals a day and no sugar, and that I thought that would be easy, but it was pretty tough. You know, it took me a year to adjust, and I, I lost about 20, 25 pounds that first year. Then I just, to thine own self be true, I realized, like, more was revealed. I heard the right speaker at the right meeting. I read the right line in literature. I just, like, I saw what other people were doing, and I knew it was time to give up flour for me. And I did, and I lost all, I got the rest of my physical recovery. And then, um, you know, like, then come the challenges of being um, a gay man in a thin body and not have, and still having a fat brain, you know, like, I don't, it didn't equate, like, there, I panic when people are attracted to me, you know, like, it's scary. And, um, and what's really odd is, especially downtown, I, I work um, on the trading floor and I have to wear, you know, like, worky clothes. And when I'm downtown, I've got all my glasses and my suit and I'm walking around, like, a lot of women are attracted to me. I, I notice that more than any men. And even, even that's uncomfortable. You know, I've never had sex with a woman. Um, I've had a, I had a girlfriend in high school once. Uh, maybe that makes me a lesbian, too. But um, and <laughs> the bottom line is, like, I still have all this shame and body image, these shame and body image issues that don't just go away. You know, they just don't go away. You have to work. I have to work the steps around them. They do get better. They get a lot better. And I remember um, I had heard at some point, um, I just heard here, that, that I was I diagnosed myself after going to a different meeting that I, had, I was a sexual anorexic. Like, you know, I only had sex. I used to only have sex when I was drunk and a blackout, completely checked out. I didn't exist from here down, you know. And um, I would sleep with anybody that would sleep with me. didn't matter what they looked like or what they were about. And, you know, I remember so many nights of, like, having sex with people who were, like, oh, excuse me, throw up out the side of his bed into a trash can drunk, you know. Like, and that was what I settled for. Um, and then I went through a period where I just didn't have any sex because then I'm sober. I'm working the steps, I'm conscious, I'm present. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't deal with it. Um, at some point, I put an ad um, on, I forget it was Yahoo or something. I decided that, you know, I had to start dating. I had to face my fears. And um, I like to say that I dated 90 men in 90 days. <laughs> um, you, know, if if there's, you know, there's only one way to get through your fears, and that's through them, you know. And so... I learned a lot, and um, one of the things I learned, the first thing I learned was to be present, you know, and to be, it's okay that I was afraid, and, you know, my, the people that I dated and the people that I had sex with were different throughout recovery, and I would think better and better. Um, I, this one, um, this one guy that I met was like, you know, I think a lot of people have this sort of epitome of their ideal physical partner. This guy was incredible. He was like six like three or four, blonde, handsome, muscular, like six-pack stomach, gorgeous. Like, and I, I met him online on a webcam and um, during a phase of what I call webcam Manila where I could just, you know, I was like, way to be sort of intimate but not, not in the same vicinity. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he had to come down to San Francisco for work and we decided to meet in person and we did and... Um, and he didn't run away screaming, and but I wanted to, you know, like I didn't know how to handle it, and I was really wor- I was working with that my this great sponsor, and we were doing daily ten steps, um, you know, 
I would call every night. I would write down the third step prayer, what I was afraid of, what I was angry about, what I was resentful about, and then the seventh step prayer. I call her every morning and tell her, tell her the same shit over and over and over and over. And she's like, one of these days, you're gonna be so sick of saying it, you're gonna take action and do it. And so she was with me during that time when I was dating Rich, and um, and I was facing a lot of fears about body. And I just remember this one moment where my sponsor made me do it. She's like, call me before he arrives. And then I want you to get naked with him, and I want you to say, um, I'm really insecure about my body, and I'm afraid to be with you physically. And then, you know, call me the next day and tell me what happened. And so I did it. And it was like a robot. I, like, walked up. I remember I was standing there holding him. I'm naked. I'm really insecure about my body, and I'm really scared. And, you know, I felt like a complete idiot. And, um, and he just looked at me and said, I love your body. And I was like, oh, wow. Anyway, that... That was a moment when I was will. It was like I was willing to do something that um, I hadn't been willing to do before. I was really like I had to take my pro- I have to take my program into everything. You know, like I have to take. I, I like to say I, I I don't want to say I can't. I have to change it to I won't because what I've learned in the program is there's virtually nothing in life that I can't do without help. If I get if I work the steps around it, if I work, work with my sponsor with other people in recovery around it. Um, if I work on acceptance, if it's something I truly can't change, but if there's something that is, you know, that I can change, that I'm just afraid to do, um, I have to remember that I have to have willingness to try it. And so I was willing in that moment to just be honest with someone that I was really afraid of. And it was a really incredible experience. And, you know, that relationship didn't go anywhere. In fact, um, the reason I ended up breaking up with him because um, one day I got the courage to say, I feel like I'm not really getting to know you, and I feel like I want to be more intimate. And he's like, oh, I don't like to do that. Um, I don't like to talk about that kind of stuff. I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, my last boyfriend, we were together for three years, and he said he never knew what I was thinking or feeling, so he broke up with me. And I was like, oh. And, well, I was like, I'm in a program about fucking feeling for a change. You know, like, this, I've, I've, been, I've done that. I've been that rock before and shoveled everything. And I want to, you know, I'm, I'm out now. I'm in the sunlight of the spirit. You know, like, I want to be out in every way and truthful and honest. And I need someone that's going to encourage that in me. And, you know, number one on my list of an ideal mate is no longer, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed. It's someone who encourages me to be honest and open and myself. And so he wasn't that person and we broke up. And we still stay in touch and he's still beautiful. And um, <laughs> I'd like to have sex with him again, really. But um, anyway, that's not. He's a human there. Um, so I guess just... Um, for people who are new or people who are coming out or newly out or new to the program or if anything I said, like push any buttons or if you resonate with any of it, I just hope that you leave with a message of um, a message of hope that like I've, at some point I was talking to a cousin of mine who's in recovery and um, she is, um, she and I are both single. Okay, my time's up. We, um, the thing that we said is maybe we're put on this earth to prove that someone who's single and alone and who has feelings of loneliness can be happy, joyous, and free despite that. And so maybe that's my primary purpose is that, you know, I'm gay. I have terrible body image. I'm a century person who's achieved recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. I've been abstinent for eight years. I've kept the weight loss off um, all this time. And I've run four marathons. I've been open and honest with people that I was terrified to do so with. Um, I have really incredible, amazing relationships with friends and family and program people. And so it's like that life beyond your wildest dreams that we talk about. 
um, it can happen. It's just, it's all about the steps. Thanks. Thanks, you guys. That was really great. So, um, could someone please bring the Ask It basket up here? Because it's time for it. Thank you. And after we do the Ask It basket, no, before we do the Ask It basket, I'm supposed to tell you there's a few breakfast and dinner tickets available. So if you want to purchase those, you go down to registration. And also, if, if you decide you want to share later in the meeting, you need to sign this release form because this is being taped. Okay. So it'll be... So now we're going to do questions from the Ask It Basket. I'll read the question, whoever wants to answer. Looks like there's one. Wouldn't someone else like to ask a question? Okay, well, just in case. This one says, do you feel acceptance in any OA meeting you attend? I'll read it in the microphone. Do you feel acceptance in any OA meeting you attend? Do you come out in your pitch? Who would like to answer that? My name is Eddie. I'm a great recovering compulsive reader. Uh, I would say the acceptance, the principal piece of acceptance is acceptance of myself. And once I got to a place of accepting me, I had no... Um, no problem letting people know who I was. Uh, the first time I did it, someone shared that um, that she had a sponsor who was just terrific and that she had a husband who treated her just like a queen. So when it was my turn, I said, well, I'm looking for a man who will treat me like a queen also. <laughs> uh, so everybody knows, you know, where I, where I live. and um, But I really believe that it has to do with being okay with who I am. Risha Compulsory Reader again. Um, I really feel accepted um, in OA around um, as a gay man. Um, I feel like I come out whenever I speak because I have my mouth and I'm a sissy. But I think, you know, like it doesn't matter. In OA, we're really a family because of our experience as compulsive overeaters. And um, so I feel 100% acceptance. And I've been to OA meetings in other parts of the country, although I have to say, um, no, that's not true. I've been, to, I've been to meetings in very rural parts of the country and um, in more conservative parts of the country. I was just in Boston um, for a week, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I went to the 100-pounder meeting there. And just incredible acceptance. And um, I guess I'm, I feel blessed in the Bay Area because for the gay and lesbian culture, the queer culture, it's so enormous here. It's like we live in Oz, you know, like I... I left Boston. I was there. I was in Boston for a week, and I didn't think about it while I was there. But when I came back, and saw the contrast of just how much freedom we have here to be to really be expressive of ourselves and be whatever and whoever and however you want to be. So I'm really grateful for living in the Bay Area for that reason. And um, and I think like you know, again, I have to be able to. There might be somebody out there who is struggling and um, doesn't know they can come out. So. 
But I, I care, I'm carrying a message as a happy gay man when I share that at a meeting level, at the meeting level. So that's, does anyone else have a, oh, more. No, these are from the last workshop. Okay. Would anyone else like to share their experience, strength, and hope? Okay. You get your autograph. Thanks. Uh, I'm Jim. I'm a overeater. I'm going to see if I can sign and talk. I can't. Um, one of the things that I really had to confront in the program, and I had about 16 different um, words for this, was the um, incredible amount of judging that I do as a person. Um, and what I mean by that is, uh, first, it was, uh, I would go, let's say I would go to a bar or to a club or something like that, and I assumed that the entire room, A, was looking at me, and B, hating me or, you know, finding me less than or completely without value and such. And one of the things that um, I really had to confront in this program was that everywhere I went, someone did hate me, but it was me. And that, you know, in reality, if people don't like the way you look or something like that, they don't look at you, right? And... But yet I would sit in a, I was like, let's say I'm in a bar or something and somebody's looking at me. I assume that anybody looking at me doesn't like what they see, right? So by definition, you're stuck or I'm stuck in a situation like that. And my first sponsor in OA um, made me come to these conclusions myself. It was really a challenge because I would think like, oh, I need to um, I need to get self-respect, or I need to get this, or I need to get that. And and what his point was was that I spent my whole life judging me as well as judging every other person in the world because that was my coping mechanism for hating myself in such a way. And um, having to confront that is something that makes me feel grateful about being a compulsive overeater because uh, I don't I wouldn't have gotten I wouldn't have I wouldn't have gotten to that self-realization um, without this program and without the need, the, the physical need to do something. And, and that was, uh, it became, it's become uh, really important. And the, the realization of it is, I guess it's 80% of it, but it feels like 2% of it because every single day, I work in advertising, our job is to judge. To, to judge and classify people into boxes. And every day I have to fight that tendency in myself in terms of looking at myself and in terms of looking at other people and beginning to, to learn to value what's important. And I'm grateful for the tools of the program and for the steps to help me do that because it, it makes me, I won't say a better person, it makes me a person as opposed to, um, as opposed to a criticism machine. Thanks. So let's do this. Um, you can come and share and sign, and then I'll hand the sign thing to the next person so we can have a line so more people get the opportunity. There's supposed to be three minutes on this. Hi, I'm Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Um, I came out in a way. And um, 
there was a gay lesbian meeting at the time, and it was a very welcoming and opening, um, open place for me um, and safe. And um, we don't have that meeting anymore, but we don't really need it anymore because, you know, I feel comfortable coming out in, in any meeting. But um, what I wanted to, to talk about is how it was because of this program that I was able to come out. It was like being, it took abstinence and working the steps for me to know who I am, you know, sexually or any other way. Um, I was just, um, I was just hidden from myself. And um, so I'm really grateful for the program uh, for, for my sexuality. And that's kind of the way it was connected. It's not like I ever, it's not like I ate to hide my sexuality. It's like because I was eating, uh, my sexuality and everything else about myself was hidden from myself and therefore from everybody else. So, um, you know, without this program, I don't know where I would be possibly dead. But with this program, I've been able to come out in, in many ways and not just in terms of my sexual orientation. I, I mentioned when I was first coming out, I mentioned to a teacher I had who I, who I knew was, was uh, a lesbian that I was coming out. And she said, you know, that's, that's great, but, you know, I mean, it's like she said, um, come out as a person, you know, and I think that's what this program enables us to do. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a compulsive overeater and a gay man. And uh, it's very frightening to say something like that, but it also feels really good. And it's the first time I said that at a meeting, too. Um, I don't mean to, to sound like I'm cross-talking, but I feel as well that it was through this program that I got to accept who I was. And it was actually to someone else in program that I first... Uh, revealed how I felt about other people and revealed, you know, kind of my own self-acceptance and my own sexuality was to someone in the program who went to my own meeting who I felt was, you know, who was a lesbian and who I felt I could trust. And she was the first other person other than my therapist that I ever spoke to about this. And I think that says a lot about, um, a lot about the program. And, uh, and I think that's an amazing thing. And I say that as someone who's who's dealing right now with kind of a um, a relapse situation, because it was it was that the feeling of of being able to accept myself and so forth in, in this program that I, I went and I decided to go and live abroad for a year and go to graduate school. And I was living um, living in Paris, and I had the the courage there to come out openly to my classmates and live my one and only time as, you know, a 38-year-old man as someone who was openly gay. And it was it was very real, re, very redeeming and very uh, empowering, I think a word was said earlier. And it was an amazing feeling. So much so that I found myself, like, picking up on straight people. <laughs> or anyone, you know, just, just you know, the... Uh, was picking up, you know, trying trying to pick up on people. Never done this before in my life, and you know, I found myself, uh, you know, being able to do that because of what I had in the program. Unfortunately, leaving leaving Paris and coming back into the exact same life I had left when I went to Paris, 
not having come out to my family, not having come out to my co-workers, not having come out to anyone, I went right into a relapse that has plagued me for the year that I've been back, and I didn't know where else to go but back into these rooms to see, well, this is where I belong and this is where I need to be to get healthy in my head and in my body, and that's where I am today uh, uh, with you. And so I just wanted to share um, that, that program and my sexuality are really intertwined and uh, I'm very grateful for this program not only for the physical recovery that if I know I follow it I can achieve and I had achieved in the past um, but also t towards becoming a, a gay man who's healthy in his head. So thank you very much. different when there's a microphone. My name's Kathleen Marie and I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, thank you all for sharing. Uh, I really got a lot out of it. Um, when I um, first came out, my girlfriend and I went to a women's rap group, a lesbian rap group, and it was, um, I really, the not just in this meeting, but in the whole convention, when people are talking about just not feeling like they fit in, like they belong, just feeling different, really resonates for me, as I imagine it does for most of us. And that was the first place that it's like, oh, okay, I belong here. And um, a couple years later, when I uh, started going to OA meetings, um, it was that was the second time and place in my life where I had that feeling. And um, when I first started going to OA meetings, I promised myself that I would never um, use a neutral pronoun or um, fudge about if I'm if I'm sharing about a girlfriend or a relationship or whatever that I would um, that I would say what I needed to say and um, and one of the things that I found really wonderful about program NOA is that it is a place that we get to practice doing things that are difficult and uncomfortable with people who um, right up front tell you that they love you and um, and I must have got that real early because I, you know, and, and when I um, fell in love with a man and I, you know, it's like, oh, my God, you know, it's like, and it's like, no, wait a minute, you know, you can, you know, they accepted you as a lesbian, I'll accept you this way, too. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, um, it, it just, just still a place that I really feel um, comfortable, that I can go and that I can be me, whatever that happens to be on any given day. Thanks. Hi, I'm Karina. I'm anorexic. 
and a lesbian. Um, thank you guys so much for sharing. I'm really excited to be at this because uh, for me, it's a lot easier to speak about my sexuality than it is about anorexia, um, which is really strange because um, for me, like probably many of you, my sexuality and my eating disorder are very, very closely intertwined. Um, and I actually had lunch with my dad recently. We're really close and he was, um, I don't remember how it came up, but uh, I guess a friend of his daughter is anorexic or something. And he was like, well, you know, um, a lot of gay people have eating disorders. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, look at this room, right? But um, for me, it was just always really hard because um, I've always been very girly, very feminine. Um, I was a cheerleader in high school. Uh, I dated tons of guys. Um, and, you know, when I came out, like, everyone but my mom was totally shocked. And um, and I, I passed really well in the straight world, which um, has its advantages, and sometimes it's just weird. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's really weird for me to say that I'm really happy that I'm gay. I'm I'm very comfortable with it. It's um, I don't keep it from anybody. My employers know, my family, everybody. And um, and to think that two years ago I was just like I'm not gay. I'm just dating a woman. That it doesn't mean anything, you know. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, and and you know people still say, well, why do you have to call your, you know, like my older friends and stuff who knew me when I dated. Why do you have to call yourself gay? Why do you have to define yourself? Well, if straight people can define themselves, why can't we, right? And if I date a guy, then I date a guy. That doesn't mean that, I, that I'm not gay. It really doesn't. I mean, I, I believe that I could fall in love with whoever. But um, anyway, so I think my anorexia has a lot to do with the fact that um, I just had a lot of issues with my sexuality. And being anorexic and not all in touch with your sexuality, like, you miss out. You know, I went for years without having sex with anyone because I didn't know who I was attracted to or I wasn't accepting of it or whatever. And um, when I really hit rock bottom with my anorexia and went into um, a treatment program for six weeks, that's really when I started doing all the work on coming out, which I didn't expect at all. But I swear, like, every counseling session I had, every writing assignment I had was about accepting myself as a lesbian and my sexuality and how I felt about that and blah, blah, blah. And... Um, once I really came out about it, it's just it's just been like the greatest gift because I never like I've heard a lot of people say today, especially I never felt like I belonged in any group. I never fit in with anyone. I was the only child. I didn't even have you know brothers and sisters I could fit in with, and um, I've all you know I've been terminally unique and all that kind of stuff. Um, but but I have family, you know what I mean? I'm, but I'm a lesbian. And, and that's like, I guess being anorexic and being a lesbian are like two things I know for sure, you know? Um, and, you know, they, they may not necessarily be looked at as good things or whatever, but it feels really, really good to be part of a community. I, I did Pride Weekend last weekend. I did it up, like, the whole weekend, just a straight, you know, binge of partying and, seeing friends, and I got new outfits for it and everything, and, and my girlfriend kept saying, like, why are you getting so excited? Why you guys got to go shopping? I'm like, this is like our prom, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a grown-up now. What else, what other fun little things do I have to look forward to? So, um, it, 
it just feels really good to be part of this community and and in this room it's it's really special because we're all part of two communities and um, we all belong here and that's really nice thanks Now time to close the session. Let's thank our speaker. And April for keeping time and Sheila for starting to ask about it and everyone who shared. Please stand, join hands as we close the meeting with the OA promise, which is the prayer I put my hand in your hand.